Hiya, Miss Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for you readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel, where I post slightly longer versions. Now, what would you do in a world with no planes, trains, or automobiles, and no hotel chains or restaurants? How would you get from place to place while staying safe? Wild animals and bandits and the weather made traveling dangerous. This is going to be a huge theme in Genesis 18 and 19, which is why we are switching away from our Being Like Jesus series for the next two chapters of Genesis. Last week, I talked about hospitality a little bit for our talk about kindness, but hospitality, which is taking care of travelers who are away from home, is so much bigger than that. Parents, I will have a two-part teaching for you on my radio show, my other radio show, where we're going to really expand what I'm teaching today so you can understand what parts of the Bible are and aren't talking about hospitality and travel and which parts are, along with the very strict rules about how families had to work in the ancient Near Eastern world. The kids you are teaching might have questions that I can't answer here, and so one of my most important jobs in teaching them is to make sure you are equipped too. So look for those later this week and next week for older teens and grown-ups. Now, traveling in the ancient world was actually considered to be really strange. Most people never did it. They weren't taking vacations or anything like that. The people who were traveling would have been considered to be really strange too, and suspicious, and even dangerous. Unless you were a merchant, which is a person who travels from place to place buying and selling things, people really weren't sure whether or not they should trust people who were on the move. Merchants could be really exciting, bringing cloth and spices and pottery from far away because there weren't any supermarkets. Now, usually, people could only get things that other people in the community made or what they made themselves. Communities that had access to clay would make their own local pottery, and some were a lot better at it than others. Now, one of the ways that archaeologists learn about ancient people is by looking at what pottery they dig up in ancient ruins of their, of their settlements, their cities. Now, that shows us who ancient people were in contact with and how far the products from one city or country would travel to others. The clay from one area is going to be an entirely different color than the clay from other countries. Baskets could be very different as well, and cloth too, depending on what they had to make it from. There are different kinds of sheep, goats, and plants that went into making cloth. And also, the kinds of dyes used could be unique to an area. Purple and blue dyes, especially, and some reds were very rare and difficult to make. Some involved crushing snails. Now, merchants are the main way those things would get from here to there or from nearby to hundreds of miles away. But other kinds of travelers were very suspicious. In the spring, 
Travelers could be spies who were scouting out your land before a king declared war on you. That was when the heavy rains finally stopped falling and the roads dried out, and there was fresh barley and wheat for the soldiers to steal as they took over your country. If a large group with men and women and children and older people came through, it was probably a group that was migrating, which means moving their home from one place to another. Here in America, native groups, which means the people who were originally here, would travel around during different seasons of the year so they could hunt and plant crops. That's a very smart way to stay alive in a world where you have to live in different ways in different seasons to make the best life possible for your family. Now, in Bible times, people would mostly migrate from one area to another because of famine, which we've talked about before. If you remember, famine is when the land stops making enough food to live in, maybe because of rain or locusts eating everything or more heat or cold than usual. Now, famine, if you remember, is why Abraham and Sarah went down to Egypt, where they rarely ever had famines. Sometimes travelers could be messengers for kings or other leaders. If one king wanted to talk to another king, it wasn't like they could make a phone call or text them, right? They had to send someone with a message, and so those messengers were very important and highly trusted. There were usually two of them, just to make sure that the message got delivered correctly, because if they got it wrong, then there could be a terrible war. The last reason for travel, which wasn't considered strange at all, was pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is when people from the same religion all travel to a place so that they can celebrate a festival together. In the ancient world, this usually happened whenever there was new food to be celebrated with. In the spring, the children of Israel celebrated the Passover at the time of the barley harvest. And the Babylonians celebrated the Akitu festival. Akitu is, literally means barley cutting, so that's why we know when it was. Then they celebrated Shavuot, or Pentecost, after the wheat was harvested, and in the fall they had the biggest party of all, called Sukkot, or the Festival of Tabernacles. And they celebrated by feasting on the fruit and nuts and meat and all the things they had harvested throughout the summer months. The closer the people came to where the tabernacle was, or later the temple in Jerusalem, the larger the groups traveling got, and they would sing special psalms together as they got closer and closer. Pilgrimage was always the best reason of all to travel. During the time of Jesus and afterward, his disciples would travel from place to place to teach people about Jesus and how he had finally come to rule over the world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When they traveled, they depended on something called hospitality which is what we call it when strangers are taken in and cared for in someone's home. Of course, during the time of Jesus, the rules about hospitality had changed a lot in some ways and not in others from when Abraham was practicing hospitality. For example, women were allowed to be hosts in New Testament times, but not when Abraham was alive. We know this not only because of the Bible, but also because of what we read about from other cultures who lived at the same time. Scholars who study the world of the Bible sometimes say that they were all drinking from the same cultural water. 
which means that they did a lot of things the exact same way, no matter what gods they worshipped or what they called themselves. We will see that a lot. Everyone who lived at the same time as Abraham performed animal sacrifices to make their gods happy. Men had absolute power over their own families, and that was considered normal. Not even men, really, but the oldest man in the family. You know, you could be like 70 years old, but if your dad told you to do something, you had to do it because he was in charge of everyone. We see a lot of things change throughout the Bible as God brings them closer and closer to the time of Jesus. But when Abraham was alive, we need to remember that his family had just come out of Babylon and worshipped idols. God had a long way to go to get them ready for the Messiah. He had to teach them new ways to live and how to love one another in the meantime. We will talk some other time about how hospitality worked in the days of Jesus, but right now we're going to talk about hospitality in the days of Abraham and Lot. For the grown-up teachings, we will also be talking about Rahab, Yael, and Abigail, and how those situations were very different from the ancient phenomenon of hospitality. Some of what we know actually comes from Bedouin communities here in the modern world and how they have done things for thousands of years. Now, hospitality was sort of an insurance policy in the ancient world. It was really kind of a religion where everyone knew the rules and followed them no matter who or what they were. You didn't want to get stuck somewhere far from home with no safe place to spend the night and no food. And so even people who didn't travel all followed the rules of taking strangers into their homes for a set amount of time. Even if they weren't going to travel, their friends and family might, and so taking care of strangers was part of what people did to keep their world from becoming too unpredictable. What we're going to learn today are the rules for hospitality and what people could and couldn't do and say. Just imagine that you are outside your tent or house 4,000 years ago. You look in the distance and you see some people walking toward you. Or maybe they're leading a donkey or riding a camel. What do you do? Well, if you were a woman, it all depended on whether you were married or widowed or whatever. No woman living alone was going to invite strange men into her tent or house because that was something we would call a taboo. A taboo is something that people just aren't allowed to do and wouldn't even imagine doing. I mean, you would never think of marrying a member of your family, would you? That's a very serious taboo in the modern world, no matter where you are, pretty much. People get grossed out just thinking about it. Well, that's how people in the time of Abraham would have thought about a respectable woman opening her tent and letting strangers inside, okay? It was unthinkable. It wasn't even safe. A married woman would go get her husband, and a young woman would go get her father or uncle or grandfather. If the woman was at a well or another place that belonged to the whole community, she didn't have to go anywhere because there was nothing wrong with meeting someone at a well because everyone needed to drink, right? But the men of a community had obligations, things they had to do when there were strangers coming into the living space of their community. And this is where it gets complicated because not all hospitality was just about being nice to strangers. 
Offering hospitality was often a way to find out whether someone was a friend or an enemy or to make sure they became your friend and not your enemy. But even that wasn't easy because there were rules about what you could and couldn't say and could and couldn't ask. And if you get confused, don't worry, because as we go through Genesis 18 and 19, starting next week, you'll get the hang of it because we're going to see this stuff over and over again. The details will sometimes be a bit different, but they will always fall within most of the rules that everyone in the ancient world agreed on. Let's pretend that I'm a guy, okay? And not only a man, but the head of my own household. That means I probably have a wife and sons and daughters and tents or maybe a stone house and, and critters and whoever else that works for me as a hired helper or anyone I would own as a slave, which, you know, we hate, but that's how things were back then. And sadly, they didn't seem to understand that you can't love other people if you own them. God had to deal with all this nonsense a little bit at a time, or they would have totally freaked out. Now, same with us and our nonsense, right? Right. I'm responsible. I'm, remember, I'm this dude. I'm responsible for a certain amount of area around my home and my community. But outside that, I can let people alone. But today, I see some people in the distance. And I'm wondering if they will come close enough to worry about. Are they messengers traveling from one place to another? Are they spies who want to report back to their king that, I would be a good target for killing and stealing all my stuff? Are they foreigners looking for a new place to live after a war or escaping famine? Do they have animals or not? Are they part of a caravan of merchants who might have things to sell that I need? No way to know for sure, but I do know one thing. I want them to be my friends and not my enemies. Because I'm a man in this ancient world, it means that I have a lot of rights as well as responsibilities. I have the right, for example, to go out and meet them and make them temporary members of the community by providing hospitality. If they accept food and a place to rest from me, then they aren't going to be allowed to attack me and my family and my community. All right. It went against the rules that everyone in the ancient world agreed to live by if they attacked their host. They believed the gods would be furious and society would fall apart. In a world with very few laws and no law enforcement, and especially out in the wilderness far away from cities and kings, they had to depend on everyone following certain rules about what was and wasn't okay. I'm sure that you have... The same kinds of agreements with other kids about what is and isn't okay to do and say. You may not think about them, but you obey those rules without thinking about them. Most people, for example, won't cut in line in front of another person because it just makes everyone else in line angry and isn't fair, and it's a bummer when it happens to us. It isn't against the law to cut in line, we just don't do it. So it doesn't have to be a law. No one likes a line cutter. If you are at a potluck, no one's going to take all of one of the dishes of food. They're going to take a little bit and leave the rest for everyone else. It isn't against the law to take a whole pie and go sit down with it, but it is against our unwritten rules. 
everyone just knows it and they do what's right. Hospitality in the world, the Bible was like that. So I go out to meet him or them and I say hello and I'm super polite and I might bow down before them to respect them and I, I ask them to stay a while at my home while I bring them some water and a bit of bread and let them sit in the shade. Usually they would say something like, no, no, I really have to get where I'm going and I don't have time to rest, but thank you. They did that so that they didn't look desperate or like they needed help. That was how they protected their honor, their good reputation, and they didn't want anyone to think they were weak or in trouble. It's all part of a game they were playing. And these were the rules for everyone to come out of it looking and feeling good about themselves. At this point, after they said no, I would have to insist that they take a rest from their travels, eat, drink, and maybe even stay the night depending on what time of day it was. Now, because I insisted, they can't say no to me without disrespecting my offer. So to protect my honor, they have to come and join me for food. All I promised was a bit of bread and water and a bit of rest, right? Well, that's technically all I have to give them, but I get even more honor with them and my community if I give them much more than that. So instead of a bit of bread, I serve them fresh unleavened bread made up on the spot and I give them fermented milk and maybe even some wine to drink. Now, if I'm a really epic host, I will give them meat, milk curds, which was like yogurt, or whatever else I have available. I have made the travelers temporary citizens of my community or my camp, and they can't attack me and I can't attack them. Now, here's the deal. I don't know why they're traveling, but I'm not allowed to ask them either. We can talk, but I can't pry into their personal business. They can bring it up if they want to, but I can't ask. But one of the best things about offering hospitality to travelers was receiving news about what was going on out in the world. A traveler can tell you about wars in other places and famines and when kings have died and new kings take their place and all sorts of things. There were no newspapers, phones, radio, or television, so without visitors, there wasn't any sort of entertainment from the outside world. Almost no one could read either. Storytelling was how people learned about the world around them, and that was an exciting reason why people would be anxious to have travelers visit their homes. So as soon as I invite them into my space and they accept, I have to protect them even if it costs me my own life. And because I'm a man in those days, I have absolute power over all the women and children in my family, as well as over my slaves, even grown-up children, okay? They have to do whatever I say, and I can even kill them if I want to. And this was how things operated in the pagan world for a very long time, thousands of years. God even gave laws that forbade men to act this way because before then, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to whomever they wanted as long as it was in their own household. Romans called this paterfamilias. The paterfamilias was the oldest man in the household and he ruled over everyone in his extended family no matter how old they were. When Jesus was scolding his disciples 
about how the Gentiles like to be bossy over everyone. This is part of what he was talking about. He was telling his disciples that the people in charge of his kingdom are the people who serve everyone and not the people who are demanding to be served, and especially not the people who hurt others. Jesus gave us the best example because even though he's God, he died for us when he had the ability to kill us. Jesus is our King, Lord, Master, and Savior. Jesus showed everyone a different way of being head of the household, and a lot of people didn't like that at all. Some people like having that kind of power over other people. They did then, and they still do now. That's another reason why Jesus said that we have to come to him like little children. We have to be different than the world around us. Just because the world tells us we can do certain things doesn't make them right or even a good idea. Jesus told us to never do anything to anyone that we would hate to have done to us. In the ancient world, everyone wanted to be the paterfamilias with all that power, but it wasn't any fun to not be the paterfamilias. <laughs> that would be super stressful, right? Oh, that's how the false gods of the nations around Israel acted. Whoever was the top god got to do whatever he wanted to the others. And so the strongest gods were often warring against each other, even though they were supposed to be family. They all wanted that top spot so that everyone else would have to do whatever they wanted. That's why Jesus was so strange to the pagans who heard about him. And speaking of Jesus, another part of hospitality was washing the feet of your visitors or having a slave do it or at least giving them some water so they could do it themselves. Feet were considered to be the grossest part of the body. Does that surprise you? Well, it shouldn't because they mostly wore sandals and animals would go to the bathroom wherever they happened to be. Feet were the most important part of you to be clean when you went into your tent or home, but they were only slightly less gross than your sandals, which at least protected your feet from the worst of what you were walking in. At the tabernacle or temple, the priests had to have their whole bodies washed, but especially their feet because they went barefoot when they were serving God there. That was considered to be God's house, and so they made sure that they treated it that way. Clean bodies, clean feet, and they gave God the best of everything. Now, the tabernacle or the temple was considered to be the place where heaven and earth meet. They overlapped, okay? That's what they thought. And it was like God was visiting that space with his presence. In some ways, God was the host, but in other ways, the priests acted like the host. They were responsible for keeping the fire going on the altar always, which was sort of like a huge barbecue grill. And they made offerings every day like good hosts to show respect to God. They kept it clean and treated it with respect, and they even asked him questions there. What about the people who received hospitality from somebody like Abraham? What was their job? Now, remember that wherever there are social rules that everyone agrees to, everyone has their own part to play. Not only could guests not attack their host or his community, but they weren't allowed to ask for anything. The host could give them what he wanted. But the guests couldn't ask for anything, or they would be treated the host with disrespect. They were also required to do something nice for the host, giving them some sort of gift of life. 
Usually that was a blessing or a prayer that the host and his household would be very prosperous, meaning lots of critters, children, peace, money, or whatever else they needed, or rain too. It was how you said thank you in the ancient world. Sometimes in the Bible, we will see that people can be unhospitable and even dangerous to peaceful visitors, and that was considered to be a very terrible crime all throughout Bible times. Jesus even tells his disciples that if a town is not hospitable to them, then they don't have to bless it when they leave, but that they should bless and honor everyone who is good to them, no matter how much or how little they had to offer them as guests. I love you. I'm praying for you. As we go through the Bible, we need to look for signs of hospitality. Do you remember when Melchizedek came outside his city with bread and wine for Abraham and his men? That's just the beginning.